Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us because, of course, we are inching our way closer and closer to spring. I don't know. Are we in spring? (laughs) It's questionable, but let's call it spring. As long as we don't get too excited. And start planning a bunch of things that if we have some cold nights, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so here we are. We are looking forward to a season of rejuvenation, revitalization, new foliage on the trees and our shrubs. And hopefully everything is getting new foliage. After this winter we've had, there are some questionable things in the landscape, are there not? I've heard of folks saying that many of their Laura Petalums, that wonderfully purple-clothed plant, of course, Laura Petalum comes in greens, but we mainly do uh, use the purples in the landscape, and, and they did have a beating. I know some of them will need to be trimmed back pretty hard. Some of them may not return at all. Tea olives lost their leaves, and then, of course, at least in my neck of the woods, they tried to uh, put out new growth just to find that we had another couple of nights, 28 degrees, 29 degrees, froze out the new growth, and we were getting these setbacks. But setbacks aren't all that bad, and we just have to have the faith. We have to have the hope that spring is going to bring brighter foliage our way. So, let's enjoy a new season, a new season of the year, probably one of our favorite seasons if you are a gardener, but I'm afraid just like we've experienced, we've had some nice, very warm days already. Here in the south, we sort of jump from winter right into summer sometimes. So be on the lookout for these high temperatures too, because of course, if If we go through a spell of heat and some dry weather, we may need to be caring for our newly planted plants with extra moisture. But not every day we have to worry about that, now do we? So it's a great time of year. It's a great era to be gardening in. We have so many different plants at our fingertips, so many plants that we can choose from, new varieties, uh, new cultivars, hybrids. Things that our great-great-grandparents couldn't have even imagined. Now, here we are with a garden full of strange and unusual things. If the gardeners of the late 1800s, even early 1900s, could see what all were growing, I'm sure they would be envious and full of jealousy. So, let's appreciate all the new things that we have uh, available to us to grow. So today we've got a big show for you. We're going to talk about some perennials that spread. 
I've answered a few questions at the nursery uh, recently about plants that are going to fill in spaces but don't have to be replanted year after year. Of course, that's the perennial nature. Plants that are perennial return year after year. Now, that may not be forever, okay? Uh, in general, very general statement, but if you get three, five years out of a perennial plant, that's a good thing. Now, there are plenty of perennials that are going to last for decades. And last week, I brought it to your attention about peonies, the peonies. Some people say peonies. But the peonies are one of these very long-lived perennials, and so before we get into our list of uh, new and exciting perennials that we haven't talked about uh, or haven't talked about recently, I do want to uh, mention, we, we did get a comment from a listener, Ted, we appreciate your comment. Uh, last week, when we were talking about perennials, I was, I mean, peonies, I was trying not to spend too much time on talking about peonies, and I sort of uh, used a blanket statement that didn't truly represent what um, one of these peonies' histories was. And it came down to this peony, a particular peony called Bartzella, which is a hybrid peony. And I mentioned that. And then we started talking about the peonies, of course, uh, the hybrid peonies, how they were originally uh, came from Japan, uh, Mr. Ito, Dr. Ito. And so we call them the Ito hybrids. So Bartzella is a beautiful intersectional hybrid, uh, which derives from two different types of peonies, two different species. There, of course, there is the herbaceous type of peony, which is most common. And then there are, and I, I think I briefly mentioned last week, a tree form peony, or the tree peonies. And these tree form peonies do develop woody stems. They may not grow well in all areas, um, but they do get tall. Uh, usually their blooms are not quite as showy. I mean, that's all in the eye of the beholder there. Uh, but the tree peonies are more unusual, that's, that's for sure, than uh, you really would see most peonies in the garden as the herbaceous perennial type. Their foliage comes out in the spring, they bloom, the foliage dries back, and the plant retreats underground uh, for the winter, and that cycle starts over and over. Those are herbaceous. But then the tree peonies, they do maintain uh, a good bit of woody material above the ground all winter in certain areas. And so back in the early 1900s, plant breeders really thought it, would, it was crazy to be able to cross these herbaceous peonies with tree peonies because... People considered that these species were too incompatible to reproduce and generate a hybrid. And so it wasn't until 1948, of course, there were thousands of failed attempts that the Japanese horticulturalist, his name was Dr. Tochi Ito, that he successfully created seven peony hybrids from a tree peony that was bred with a herbaceous, one of these herbaceous peonies. Now, unfortunately, because when you are breeding peonies, it takes a long time, it's laborious, uh, the peony has to grow for many years before it blooms. Well, Dr. Ito passed away before he could actually see these creations of his to bloom. And uh, then, years later, there was an American horticulturalist, his name was Louis uh, Smirnow, and he bought some of the original Ito peonies from Dr. Ito, uh, from his wife, his widow, and he continued that work. And since then, there have been plenty of people who have uh, uh, 
tempted to continue that work and breed and whatnot. And so uh, last week I was just in, in rush trying to, of course, uh, not spend too long, but here we are correcting things. Uh, and I made the statement that Bartzella was a Japanese variety. So again, generally speaking, the Bartzella would not have been probably um, produced without Dr. Ito, the Japanese horticulturalist, probably would have been produced without his influence and what he did in the 40s. Because then, in 1972, in 1972, a gentleman named Roger Anderson actually developed this Bartzella, the neon highlighter yellow Bartzella that is beautiful, but it's in the tradition of, of course, Dr. Ito, which this hybrid group has been named after. So Bartzella actually didn't come from Japan. It came from a much more exotic place in the world called Wisconsin. So Roger Anderson in 1972 actually produced Bartzella. Um, and of course, like I said, if it wasn't for Dr. Ito in the mid, early mid 1900s, we may ne have never seen some of these. And it's wonderful to be able to talk and think about the plants that, uh, well, the plants and their history. Plants come with a history, just like all people do. And sometimes we just enjoy the flower, we just enjoy the foliage, we just enjoy the shape of the plant, the texture of the plant, and we forget about the history, you know? So there are a number now of um, these Ito hybrid peonies that are available. And back when they were first sort of introduced, um, some of the numbers here, uh, one plant could have gone for 500 to $1,000, well, of course, these peonies, the, these hybrid peonies that were successful and have beautiful characteristics and are dependable plants, they've been produced, they've been uh, propagated, and so they're being grown um, at a professional level, and you can, of course, find them for much cheaper. But just do a quick, do this for me, just do a quick Google search this afternoon uh, once we get done with the show. Do a Google search, or do it now if you got on your phone. Do a Google search for some of these Ito hybrid peonies and look at some of the prices. They are still quite high, and maybe for good reason. They are good plants. They are good peonies. They're that weird hybrid between a herbaceous and a tree peony, and of course, their blooms are generally larger than a tree peony, more like the herbaceous. Uh, this Bartzell in particular, I've seen, oh, somewhere between... A saucer and a dinner plate, okay, not quite dinner plate size, but much larger than a saucer. Uh, and, you know, with all peonies, the longer they grow, the more mature they are, the larger the root system, um, the bigger the tubers, the better show you get. So peonies are one of these interesting plants that you're going to be dedicated to them. They are not unless they're not being grown in favorable conditions, they're not a short-lived plant. If they like where they are, if they're happy, they will, and they can stay healthy, and you're feeding them, and of course, um, taking care of them, then they will probably outlive you. And I know of so many people who I've talked to who bring peonies to, um, to, on their life journey. They'll have it at one house, they'll move to another house, take it with them. And they'll say, these peonies came from my mother. She grew them. 
And of course, you can always divide peonies. There's always debate between should we divide peonies or not, but they can handle it, folks. Uh, that's how they're propagated. <laughs> so you uh, can divide them and sort of revitalize them. Now, they may not bloom well for the first few years after division, uh, but that is one way to ensure the livelihood of the plant if it's an older plant. And seriously, these, these peonies will live on for generations. Well, they can. You just got to show them love just got to show him love. So I just wanted to thank Ted for his message, uh, sending it here to WRWH and uh, letting me clarify uh, that the Bartzella is not from Japan. Uh, but that whole group of Ito hybrid peonies did come originally from Dr. Ito, uh, who's a Japanese horticulturalist, came from his work, and it has been carried into America. And we are seeing some beautiful some beautiful, there's Cora Louise, uh, a number of Ito hybrids now that are just outstanding. So if you're interested in uh, peonies of any kind, be sure to include some Ito hybrids into the landscape. I haven't seen an Ito hybrid that doesn't have this unusual foliage. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's slight. It's a slight difference than a herbaceous peren- uh, peony foliage, but it does look different. And they look great. They look outstanding. So thank you, Ted, for your message. We appreciate you listening to a New Southern Garden here. Now, we need to talk about some more perennials. And I thought that we would talk about perennials from the standpoint of perennials that spread, perennials that move, because perennials uh, that spread can be used in a number of applications. Perennials that spread, of course, can be ground covers. They can cover the earth, fill up the earth. Uh, They can hold a slope, a bank, whatever purpose you need as far as uh, holding and preventing erosion. But then, of course, uh, some of the perennials can be low, creeping, crawling things. And I love a good perennial that can crawl underneath the base of a shrub, maybe something like... um, our panicled hydrangeas, you know, the limelight hydrangeas, that whole group is becoming known as limelight now, uh, but something that can crawl and, and fill in gaps in between plantings, in between shrubs, and the fact that these perennials do not have to be planted year after year after year after year, just like annuals. Many of these are going to be blooming, or they have great fall color, or both, So if you're looking for a plant that is going to get up and get on the move in your landscape, be sure to continue to listen after this short break because we're going to talk about perennial plants that spread and they fill in. So hang on tight. We will be right back with more. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Give it a go! 
Well, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about plants on the move. We're talking about perennial plants, plants that return year after year. Some of these plants never drop their leaves. They're evergreen. Just a few. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if every plant kept its leaves all year? Wouldn't it be great if every plant bloomed all year long? Wouldn't it be great if every plant didn't need trimming? What would be the fun, right? What would be the fun if, if you know, if there, I've, I've always said this, if there was the perfect plant, if there was a plant that stayed green all year, had foliage all year, bloomed all year, and didn't need to be trimmed, we would have no need for any of the others. Isn't that true? I mean, if there was a plant that did everything we wanted it to do, we, we wouldn't need the others. And so I believe that, um, that the creator of these plants said, you know, we need to enjoy all the beauty, all the season. See the seasonal change in your garden, in your landscape. Um, who needs the perfect plant when we have so many wonderful things to choose from? So a few wonderful plants that you can choose from we're going to talk about today. We are talking about perennials that spread and creep and crawl. And of course, some of these can be used in an application like trying to hold soil, uh, prevent erosion. Uh, maybe just fill in a big space or if you're tired of cutting grass if you're tired of cutting grass many of these can be used as a substitute not for a lawn but definitely as um, a ground cover and of course you can just enjoy the blossoms on these the foliage on these you don't even need to mow why would you want to and these are so much more pretty than bermuda bermuda grass so uh, let's jump into this list here uh, the first one that comes to mind when i was working through uh, notes for today's show is, is creeping raspberry now it's becoming a plant some people still don't know about creeping raspberry uh, it probably became quite popular several years ago at least in our area and it is in the raspberry family, okay? It is, but it's not a fruiting raspberry per se. It's not one that would produce a fruit that you and I would want to eat or put on our yogurt, right? Not great for parfaits, but it's definitely good at holding the soil, and it moves fast. And we do use uh, creeping raspberry around the nursery, like around culvert pipes. Uh, the driveway uh, into the nursery has a pipe underneath it, and, you know, you got that weird slope. And we used to have grass, and I said, why, why do we keep this grass out here? Why don't we destroy the grass and plant creeping raspberry? And in just one season, that entire uh, planting space was covered up with creeping raspberry stems and foliage. Now, this one does uh, move by what we call stolons, which are above-ground stems, and it also moves a bit by some rhizomes, which are below-ground stems. So it moves quickly. It holds the soil. Uh, it, it stems underground, hold the soil, create a nice, dense mat, and, of course, atop of the soil, its above-ground stems create a nice, dense canopy, another mat that can help with your erosion problems. But the creeping raspberry, when the leaves come out uh, in the spring, they're quite vivid, very bright green. But as we go into summer, the foliage is very dark and very mature. Now, it has the shape of, uh, well, in my opinion, it has the shape of most raspberries that you would see in your orchard or your vegetable garden. Uh, but these are very thick the foliage is very thick. Every leaf is very thick. Not thin, not papery. Um, and there's sort of these little bubbles on top. I'm sure there's a botanical name. I'm sure there is. I don't know if it matters, though. Uh, but it's got these really rough um, texture and, and very large leaves, maybe a little larger than a half dollar. 
if we remember what half dollars look like. Uh, so this is a very dark plant for most of the year. Now, do they bloom? Yes, but it's not why we grow it. We grow it for that texture and the dark, rich color. Um, but the blooms are insignificant. You will see a few occasionally, uh, but they're not super showy, little small white things. Then, as we go into fall, this is really probably the main reason why we grow it, is the fall color on creeping raspberry. It is deciduous, so it drops its leaves. So in the wintertime, all you have are these stems and twigs, but they only get about six, eight inches tall or so. But the fall color is hard to beat with creeping raspberry for a ground cover if you do want some good fall color. Every leaf on a creeping raspberry plant is going to be mottled, mottled just mixed together. Oranges, reds, yellows, maybe some purples. I've seen a good pretty purple in the creeping raspberry foliage. So top plant, one of the top plants today for fall color. It's outstanding. It will hug the ground. It will hold the soil, and it can creep underneath plants. It does not climb, even though it has these above-ground stems. Um, it does not really climb on top of plants. Uh, they don't wrap around. They're not like a vine. Uh, they literally are just these kind of short horizontal growing uh, branches and we love to see it spill over the side of pots you could use this in containers um, as an accent for of course that dark green but also for that thick coarse textured foliage it's it's wonderful so that's creeping raspberry now another plant that really tops the list for me is creeping st john's wort now, you may be familiar with St. John's wort. Of course, uh, the St. John's worts are very well known for their blue-green foliage, uh, sort of elliptical shape. But the blue-green foliage is outstanding. However, in the summer, once it starts to get hot, early summer, uh, different species will bloom at different times. But St. John's wort is prized because of its flower as well. It has these... Um, uh, disc-like flowers, uh, sort of like a rose in, in a way. It's got strong yellow centers and usually broad yellow petals. And it's highly attractive to pollinators. That's one of the reasons why people look for St. John's wort because it is a good pollinator. However, most St. John's worts are shrubby. Uh, they tend to get round and bushy and they're beautiful. But if you have a small space, if you do need something to creep and crawl underneath other shrubs, then be on the lookout for creeping St. John's wort. There are a few varieties. There's one called Brigadoon. Brigadoon, which I've fallen in love with, it has a very chartreuse foliage. So instead of the blue-green, it is very much yellow. And in a shadier situation, it will be a very vivid lime green. So be on the look for Brigadoon Creeping St. John's Wort. It is beautiful in its own right. It has some good fall color. We had some good fall color last year, and I'll tell you, I didn't think that it would fare well over this strange winter we've had, particularly with that six-degree single-digit temperature. But it is coming back very strong, uh, maybe even stronger than some of the regular, the blue-green St. John's warts. I'm really liking the Brigadoon uh, with its bright yellow foliage. Now, St. John's wort is really a deciduous plant. It's going to drop its leaves. It's going to drop its foliage in the fall. But I think we need to give deciduous plants a little more credit because usually the deciduous plants bloom 
uh, a good deal. Uh, you know, think of hydrangeas and viburnums. They are super showy with their blossoms, but yes, they do drop their, their leaves. And remember, if we're planting for the seasons, winter is a season, and in the winter, many plants don't have foliage. So it's okay, it's acceptable for us to have plants that don't have leaves all year. So St. John's wort, particularly the creeping kind, is the one we're focusing on today because they do creep and spread with those underground stems. They're going to fill in gaps, uh, crawl around shrubs, in between shrubs. Could be a good one for a pot. That foliage, that blue-green foliage or the yellow foliage of the brigadoon can really contrast with the other shades of green and purples that we see in plants' foliage. Um, So I know we're coming up on a break, but I do want to go ahead and introduce another plant. Now, this plant can do a good bit of shade. And I know that you, if you're like me, you have areas that are quite shady. Some folks, of course, are stuck in the shade. Every planting space they have is shade. And many times we think that there's nothing we can grow in the shade. Well, it's just not true. There are plenty of plants that are made for the shade. Um, This one here is called Marlberry. Marlberry, or its botanical name, Ardizia, It's a wonderful name, isn't it? Ardizia. It's an evergreen ground cover, an evergreen ground cover that stands up. Now, it has these spreading stems like these others, but the foliage stands straight up in the air, pointing towards the heavens. It's a very dark green foliage, but the new growth is quite bronze and bright green. Well, when we get back from this break, we'll talk more about Marlberry and another wonderful feature that it presents, particularly all winter long. Hang on tight. Greenness unfolded for the world to behold. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, if you're just joining us for today's program, we want to welcome you and let you know that today we're talking about plants that spread. Perennials, and as a matter of fact, perennial plants are those plants that come back year after year for many years, some for several, some for decades. But these plants are plants that could be considered ground cover. Some of them are not really ground cover, but I do want you to think of plants, uh, some of these are going to be clumping, they're going to get kind of wide and broad, and that actually opens up an opportunity for a lot of plant propagation particularly by division, dividing the roots of these plants so that you can expand your stock, you can fill them in in other places. Remember that, uh, do you have to go to the plant nursery and buy every single plant that you place into your landscape? Of course not. Of course, some you can grow from seed, some you can uh, make from cuttings, but plenty of plants you can buy one or two of, and after a few years with these perennials, you can divide them. You can chop them into pieces. I know that sounds brutal. It really does sound brutal. But plants can handle it. It's a good thing uh, to do. And it's the way that we've been growing plants for a long time. Plants have these natural ways 
to overcome the damage that we may be doing to them. (laughs) They can heal the wounds and multiply. It's a wonderful thing. So these are plants that really do fall in that category. Once they get spreading and moving, you can take your trowel, you can take your shovel or spade, and you can dig them out, break them apart from each other, and spread them around. So today's program is all about perennial plants that spread. They will fill in areas in between plants along the edges or pathways that you have. And of course, many of these can be used as erosion control and uh, ground cover. But before the break, we were talking about a plant that is particularly great in the shade, made for the shade, if you will. That was Ardizia, or commonly called Marlberry. And I was telling you that the uh, Marlberry has this beautiful foliage. It's got these short, kind of stocky stems. The foliage just points up in the air. It's quite broad. As a matter of fact, some of the foliage uh, could be about the size of, say, a... Oh, what's a good what's a what's a good example it's about the size of uh, not quite a hydrangea uh, but very close to it and so they're very low very coarse so you got this big broad foliage just sticking up out of the ground and particularly this time of year the marlberry is putting out new foliage now it is evergreen well it's considered evergreen <laughs> but like a lot of evergreens this year it did drop its leaves uh, for most people who I know have it uh, it dropped its leaves over the very cold weather, but they're seeing it come back. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, uh, he said, I think it all died. And then he said, actually, I dug around and I saw bright white roots and stems below the ground. And that's a great sign. So it seems to be quite a tough plant and is going to be, uh, I I think, one that not many people know, uh, but we should, especially those of us who deal with a lot of shade. So we've got this evergreen foliage, and then in the spring, this time of year when it's warming up, it sends off this new growth, which is like little short bronze trophies. They just stick straight up in the air, and they've got this uh, great bronze color that uh, eventually lightens up to a bright green and then for the rest of the year as the leaf matures it's a dark green so right now you get this two-tone effect that's really an outstanding thing but then um throughout summer uh, maybe maybe late spring we're going to start to see the blooms now the blooms aren't super showy they're star they're they're star-shaped uh they're quite small probably no bigger round than than a dime And they are mainly white, but they have sort of a pink bud before they're opening. And so there's a little bit of pink to the edges of the white star flower. But they're hiding under the foliage. That's the thing. They hide under the foliage a bit. Now, those flowers, like most flowers, turn into a fruit. And this is how Marlberry gets that name berry. Because they will form these very large, red, vibrant red berries that they carry into the winter it's really at least the size of some of the largest holly berries uh maybe larger (laughs) maybe larger it is a big round berry and you've got little clusters of them so you've got that green leaf and the red berries this is a great plant when we're talking about looking for an interest in uh christmas time or over winter marlberry ardizia is one that shines. It's evergreen. It maybe only gets about eight or nine inches tall. Um, If you ever need to mow it down or get rid of it, 
well, not get rid of it, but freshen up the look. Literally just cut all the stems to the ground in late winter, early spring, about this time of year, and it will just rejuvenate with bright new foliage. Very easy, and it does have those uh, stolons and rhizomes that creep and crawl both above and below the ground, so it's going to fill in an area. And I can't think of a shady site that wouldn't look good with a big sway of this marl berry. It'd be super attractive and super functional. And of course, it's going to look good all year, unless, unless we have single digit temperatures, apparently. So the first time we've seen it retreat underground, but not to worry. Once it starts to get warm, those babies are going to come back with a vengeance, I'm sure. Let's stay in the shade for a little bit because I know if you're like me, uh, we're always looking for something we can grow in the shade. And one of the next plants you may be familiar with, commonly we call it bleeding heart. Of course, the botanical name is called Dicentra. And Dicentra is quite a diverse, there's, there's several species that we would find um, in the garden, in the landscape. And particularly, these plants um, are well known to be growing in the shade. Uh, but the bleeding heart is a deciduous perennial. So it puts new growth on in the spring, and then when the frost comes, all of the foliage is, is definitely gone away. Uh, sometimes dicentra on a very uh, dry year, even in the shade, may not look so hot. So in the south, we may want to partner it with things that look good in the summer. Now, the dicentra is known as bleeding heart because of the bloom. Folks, this is no joke. If, if you know bleeding heart, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know bleeding heart, you're going to have to Google a picture because it is truly a heart-shaped flower uh, and many of them towards the bottom uh, have a bit of a white, I don't know what to call it. It's some, look, this is something I do not know. I'll have to look it up. But the majority of the flower is a usually pink. There are other colors, of course, um, but they're mainly pink or lots of whites. And so the majority of this flower is shaped in a heart, kind of a hollow heart, and at the bottom, it has this little foot or this flare that's usually white. That's kind of the standard look that we would see. Now, there's, other, there's plenty of species. One of the most common, of course, is the uh, uh, Dicentra spectabilis, which is probably one of the largest blooming, um, uh, largest flower of the bleeding hearts. And it's the one that has really made a statement maybe in the garden more so than the others. There's sort of a fern-leafed one uh, that has very small leaves, little smaller flowers. But I'm sure you could find hybrids, and there's plenty of cultivars. Um, there's a cultivar that I'm pretty familiar with that turns its foliage is chartreuse uh, yellow. I think it's Gold King. I say I'm pretty familiar with it, and I can't get the name out, but gold, no, it's Golden Heart. Gold Heart or Golden Heart, that's what it is. So you got pink flower on this golden foliage. That one is very attractive. And, of course, Dicentra is fairly easy to grow, grown in the shade. You, you do want to make sure, I mean, moisture is not a problem, but I don't want to say wet, okay? Uh, they stay wet. They have these thick, fleshy tubers, roots. So moist soil is usually okay for these kind of woodlandy plants. But um, I, I wouldn't put it in a wet, boggy area, that's for sure. So dicentra or bleeding heart is going to make these large clumps. It's going to sort of... Um, uh, sort of make these large clumps that are going to have these thick tuberous roots, and that's where you can make the division. 
Much like a peony, we've talked about that uh, earlier on, but much like a peony, these roots can be divided, and if they uh, get too broad, get too far out and clumped, you can move chunks of them here and there, if you will. Uh, but we do want to make sure that we have a root, uh, and particularly a bud, you know, uh, along the root that can become a stem. So, Dicentra, even though it's not truly a ground cover, it's kind of this bulky, upright perennial that spreads. Uh, you definitely couldn't walk on this. They have very succulent-like stems that are quite, um, succulent just means full of juice. They're, they're quite moist, but they're hollow. Uh, so, so when you crush the stem, that whole stem pretty much goes away. I love the dicentra, but trying to grow them in the nursery, deal with them in the nursery is tough because we're always moving plants. And this one is a bit delicate. Its foliage, its stem is a bit delicate. If you get the smallest jerk or movement or tap or crush, that plant is going to look kind of scrubby uh, for the rest of the year. So be sure to put them in a place where you're not going to have your dogs running. That would be pretty disastrous. Uh, and you yourself, you don't want to be walking on top of it. But Dicentra Bleeding Heart, it's blooming right now. This is the time of year for it to shine. An early spring bloomer does not necessarily rebloom, but when it's blooming, it rarely is going to disappoint. Now, Siberian Iris is the next plant. Now, Siberian Iris talking about shade plants, can be grown in a good bit of shade. However, it can also be grown in a good bit of sun. Siberian iris uh, does not like to be completely dry, so not super drought tolerant. It may go dormant, it may drop its leaves, but it can grow on the edge of a pond in wet soil. So average soil may be average dry just a bit, or it can be super wet on the edge of a pond. And I say all these things up front because I want you to know how versatile Siberian iris is. Now, you and I know all about irises. Maybe our grandmothers grew them, our next-door neighbors grew them, our great-grandmothers grew them. Uh, garden irises have been around for a long time. People love them. They've been hybridizing, breeding. They've got these huge, showy blossoms. But the Siberian iris has a smaller bloom, smaller bloom, maybe just about three inches or so. Compared to those bearded irises, this is a small guy. But the color, I tell you folks, the color of Siberian iris is hard to beat because it is one of the truest blues, okay? Truest blues. It's not blue. It's really purple. But it is so purple, I guess, that it gets you going for the blue. It really makes you think this blossom is blue. Even though it probably should be considered a shade of purple, um, Siberian iris, generally, they're going to be a nice garden blue, okay? I should probably take a couple of seconds here and explain. A lot of times in horticulture or uh, the nursery trade, uh, nursery business, plant growing, horticulture, gardening, we use the word blue, the color blue, a bit loosely, all right? Plenty of times we say, here is a blue rose. And when you see the rose, you think, that's not blue, that's purple, but uh, I don't know what it is about horticulture. I guess we just are envious of that color blue because not many plants have uh, true blue. Uh, but this one, Siberian iris, comes close. Compared to other irises that you and I may be familiar with, its foliage is quite thin. Not a very broad leaf. It's very grassy looking. The foliage is kind of a standard green, not necessarily dark, not necessarily bright, but up against that... Um, 
blue <laughs> blossom, the Siberian iris is really wonderful. And again, it doesn't really matter if you have sun, some sh- sort of shade, uh, if you have uh, regular soil to moist soil, and maybe just a bit dry soil. You could grow this Siberian iris, and it will clump. It's not a super spreader. doesn't have these uh, stolons that just take off, but it does have chunky rhizomes that you can divide and propagate. So Siberian iris with that sort of blue blossom, <laughs> nearly blue, uh, definitely a purple. Check that one out. We've got some more plants coming up after this break, so hang on tight for the last segment of today's program. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about perennial plants that creep and spread and crawl. Perennial plants on the move. Now, many of these stay quite short, but some of them are a bit bulkier. Uh, We were just talking about Dicentra, Bleeding Heart, and Siberian Iris. Now, Bleeding Heart could be quite robust, uh, maybe waist high, but the Siberian Iris is maybe about knee high. And so these are some of the biggest perennials. Um, not super great if you're looking for ground cover. Uh, we've talked about creeping raspberry, St. John's wort, marlberry, or ardizia. Those are very good ground covers. Uh, but bleeding heart and Siberian iris can take up a little bit of space. They can be quite featured. I should have mentioned that Siberian iris is one of those irises that is a spring bloomer pretty much solely. Uh, It will bloom. It's starting to bud out at the nursery right now, not opened yet, but it will bloom early spring. And, And then, you know, it's foliage, but it's a beautiful contrasting foliage, a fine texture, thin grass like leaves that can be worked in with the broader leaves of other perennials that maybe bloom in late spring and on into summer. So be sure to check out those two Bleeding Heart and Siberian Iris. Now, if you've just joined us and you've missed any part of today's program, well, do not worry, do not fear, because New Southern Garden is online at NewSouthernGarden.com. It's that easy. Check out the website. We've got every episode of this program we've ever had here on WRWH 93.9 FM, your hometown radio. Of course, this is in Cleveland, Georgia. And of course, you can find the podcast of this show after it airs. Uh, We upload it to the cloud and you can access uh, the podcast on any of your smartphone devices, whatever they're calling them, iPads, Android, Apple's. Uh, whatever device you've got. And then, of course, Facebook and Instagram, because 
uh, soon enough, we will be coming to the end of this month. It seems like the days are moving fast. Let's see what my mother always said about us kids growing up was, um, the days are long, but the years are short. So it seems like we are moving faster and faster uh, this year than ever. So be sure to leave a question for us because at the end of the month, we will be answering your questions and you can do that at NewSouthernGarden.com or through Facebook and Instagram. Now we've got a few more plants of these perennial plants that spread and move. The next one I want to talk about is a great, actually there's a couple of great native plants here. Uh, I do like to talk about native plants from time to time and remind you that these native plants are plants that were found here before the settlers came. Uh, They've been growing here. They've been um, obviously adapting to our climate. And many of these, you don't have disease issues uh, because they've been able to put up a defense against the naturally occurring diseases. Of course, those diseases that are brought in from other parts of the world could be a problem. But mountain mint does not seem to have any problem growing, and it definitely has no problem spreading. We have planted mountain mint at the nursery because we love it, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, Mountain mint is not a true mint, but it is in the mint family. It's got a square stem. Anytime you have a mint, look at the stem. If it is square, it is in the mint family. Now, it has very fragrant foliage. Folks, I think our native mountain mint has um, a better, stronger, minty fragrance than some of the culinary mints do. So be sure that you give mountain mint a sniff. Crush some of the foliage, sniff it, and to be honest, it's edible, so you can chew on it and you'll get that strong minty flavor. We just love it. Now, it does have an, ag- an aggressive root system, which is really more than roots. It is uh, underground stems and above ground stems, the rhizomes and the stolons, respectively, there. And it is going to move. It is going to fill in any space you give it. You talk about covering a slope or a hill, no problem. In just about two and a half years, we had almost complete coverage of an area uh, that we were hoping to hold the soil and prevent erosion, and it has done the job. It has done the job not just well, but very well. Uh, The mountain mint, though, here is why I love it. Most of the growing season, it's quite short, As a matter of fact, over winter, it may have some foliage right there on the ground. But then, of course, as we get to summer, it starts to bloom. And these blooms shoot up into the sky on these tall stems with foliage up and down. And right at the top, you have a cluster of tiny, tiny white flowers, sort of a pink blush, maybe a little purple blush on some of the flowers. The the, the flowers themselves are super small, but they're all clustered together in this tight disc that uh, really does look nice. But it's not maybe the showiest blossom you've ever seen. But I'll tell you what you'll notice if you get close to that bloom, get close to those flowers, and you will see pollinator insects, pollinating insects that you've never seen before. It is amazing. It is a pollinator magnet. Sure, we see some butterflies. Sure, we see some bees. But then we see these like native bees, these solitary bees, these wasps, these flies. I'm not a bug guy. I don't really identify bugs, but there are things I've never seen before, and they are all coming to this mountain mint. So even though it creeps, even though it crawls, be sure uh, to get some mountain mint somewhere where you don't mind it being aggressive. It will choke out some of the slower-growing plants, so it may have to be on its own. could be kept in a container. could be kept in a contained area or bed. Um, 
maybe good luck because it probably could escape if your uh, contained area is not well contained. Um, let's see, we've just got a few more minutes, but I, I do want to talk about a plant. Um, this next one is not native, but it historically has been a wonderful garden plant, particularly for a ground cover. This is probably probably the shortest plant on today's list and maybe most likely one of the shortest plants that you could possibly find. It's a spring blooming plant with these sort of snapdragon like flowers, not clusters of snapdragon like flowers, but a sing each individual bloom reminds you of a snapdragon uh, blossom. This is called Mazus, M-A-Z-U-S, Mazus. I do not know another name for it. It's the botanical name. It's another plant. Uh, it, it's a plant that is known by its botanical name, usually commonly, but it is maybe only two to three inches tall when it's blooming, maybe shorter. Uh, Mazus comes in purple blossoms. Again, imagine that uh, snapdragon-like bloom, and some come in white. So we don't have this range of color, but usually we see blues and and and. I'm sorry, blues or purples and whites. And that's mazes. Now, mazes can look kind of like a weed because it's just little tufts of foliage. They create this dense mat of this bright green. I guess because the leaves are so uh, thin and the leaves are so succulent and they're so bright green. Some people think it's a weed, but I love it. Right now is it's time to shine. It may have some decent fall color. Uh, the foliage could turn a, a bit yellow in a good year. Uh, but it is deciduous completely. It will completely go underground and you will think that it's dead and it's not coming back. But don't you worry because late winter, early spring, when things start warming up, it will pop up. And shortly after the foliage has flushed out, you will have that spattering of purple or white, whatever color you choose to go with. So that's mazes. And it is definitely the shortest plant on today's list. Of course, be wonderful to cover underneath plants and whatnot. So, creeping raspberry, St. John's wort, ardizia or marlberry, bleeding heart, Siberian iris, mountain mint, and mazes. These are all some great plants that you ought to find and give them a go in your landscape this weekend. Of course, for WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, my name, I'm almost forgetting my name, is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We will see you on the other side of this week. Take care, gang. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.